Welcome to Watch Korean Cinema 41 on Kilimanjaro. A criminal shoots himself in front of his twin brother, who's a cop. Cop goes back to his old gang in the village and may or may not be acting as his dead twin brother. Violence and a quirky tone ensues in Kilimanjaro from 2000. My name is Kenny B. with me to dissect uh, one of um, you know many genre efforts and maybe genre benders of the new millennium. Korean cinema had it all, but regardless of who's with me, it is Hangul Celluloids. Paul Quinn. Good evening, everyone. Uh, did you... Uh, Remember enjoying that in the new millennium that it felt like no movie was the same. Like there was so much on offer that uh, even when genres started to overdo themselves, there was always something else in Korean cinema that were doing its own thing. Massively to to the point where, you know, you were just I was just buying stuff willy nilly, kind of knowing that I wasn't going to hit any nasty non home runs, if you like. You know, it was it was a great time to just grab stuff at random and be pretty sure you were going to get something worthy of something or other, you know? That was always the impression I got from that era's uh, Korean cinema, that uh, it didn't feel like uh, they were running with one genre only, but was was rather running with our cinema offers up creative freedom. You might not hit it big as Park Chan-wook, but you're going to have creative freedom in some shape or form and uh, have distribution, therefore, so... It's it's a win for us all, I suppose. You know, and I, over the last couple of years, you can almost feel it coming back as well, which is which is just great. Well, uh, we have a comeback story in in the case of uh, the director of uh, Kilimanjaro, as uh, we are going to tell you all about. But uh, first of all, some brief contact information. Like it's always a, it's almost our theme. I'm not looking for it uh, consciously, but uh, like find me a director that disappeared for at least fifteen years. Yeah, well, totally, and then comes back. Wow. It's almost calculated. It's at least 14, 15 years. Uh, the uninvited director came back. That was a good 13, 14 stretch, year yeah. stretch. And the director of Kilimanjaro came back. And uh, it, was, it was sort of the same thing. We, we've we've uh, hit upon a um, a theory, a, uh, a uh, not a controversy, not a conspiracy theory. But uh, it's just uh, the way things uh, happen that uh, will take our sweet time. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I think they've all got 20-year diaries and after they make a film, they sort of flick through to 15 years and go, next movie. Well, well, we're going to get uh, going there. But first of all, some brief contact information. This is What's Korean Cinema? And uh, it's a big question to answer. We'll uh, answer it as best we can in a uh, sort of non-verbal way as well as verbal, I suppose. It's a good, good name based on a very poor joke once upon a time by me. Uh, but uh, we are located on podcastonfire.com. Uh, that's why it's a poor joke. It's based on a poor joke by me, not a good joke by me. Anyway, uh, we are located on podcastonfire.com, our back catalogue uh, where we... We dissect uh, Korean cinema old and new, whether from 2018, 2000, all the way back to the 60s. Uh, that back catalogue is available on podcastonfire.com, along with bonus episodes that has connected to our show as well. But we produce uh, movies on uh, produce 
podcasts on Hong Kong movies, on Japanese movies. We do audio commentaries every, every now and again. We talk sleazy movies and Taiwanese genre benders too of uh, a variety uh, of the varied kind and that applies to um, many of the shows. Uh, we have an email address if you have any questions or feedback. Uh, tell us uh, uh, why you like Korean cinema. What's your favorite uh, Korean movie? That's not a topic that is... Uh, already explored so uh, do let us know podcast on fire at googlemail.com hey paul, paul queen top three korean movies right now <laughs> are, are you that are, are you that set on you like i i know my top three korean movies so no one needs to ask me uh, that on email or, or is that a, a floating uh, uh, sort of a floating rotating uh, category for you it, it morphs from time to time i mean there are there are there are some that will always be there you know oasis straight off cast away on the moon the lovely child or lovable that i keep talking about on social media within that you know assassination you know 1987 when the day comes which just uh it was just released so it's not like that has been uh like simmering in your mind forever and ever 1987 totally you know and it is that thing over if you'd asked me five years ago all the films i would have leafy top one Oh, totally. Leafy's great. Lovely. Moonsuri's great in it. If you'd asked me five years ago, they would all have been new Korean cinema wave, really. And it's just over the last little while, there have been more and more... The Handmaiden, there you go, there's another one. Um, more and more newer films that are some of the best Korean films that have ever been made, as far as I'm concerned. And I, I watch as your, your re- listeners put their hands over their ears, their hands over their eyes and go, what? Um, but it's true. It's it's morphing, you know. I love my new Korean cinema, but there's been so good stuff lately that it's great to see that you can add to that list. And if you uh, email us at podcastonfire at googlemail dot com and ask, uh, for instance, uh, me, uh, what's my top three? Well, I I, w- I would definitely put Cast Away on the Moon uh, up there because I think it's uh, just a lovely film. I, I know I know a friend on social media said that it's sort of invigorating as a fan of cinema to watch Cast Away on the Moon because you, you you're happy that a movie like that exists uh, and it's so cinematic. Uh, it reminds you where you love cinema. Like um, it's it sounds like such a, oh my god, what a pretentious thing to say, but it does make me happy. No, it is it is really true. And discussing what we're discussing in this episode and the next in terms of sort of action cinema, you'll believe it or not, apart from Jung Jae Young being a link, there is a link, another link to Cast Away on the Moon that we'll we'll talk about when we get to it. Okay, cool. Uh, at any rate, uh, we are also available on social media. Click the handy Facebook button and the handy Twitter button. The Facebook button will lead you to our page on Facebook. You can also join the discussion group to follow show updates and discussion and what have you. And those buttons are on our website, podcastonfire.com. I write about uh, a variety of uh, Taiwanese and Hong Kong movies, Taiwanese special effects movies, uh, female revenge movies, social realist movies uh, and just a crazy time in Taiwan it's something that makes me happy a, a crazy very creative time in Taiwan like the poster boy or child for just how crazy can Taiwanese cinema be and it's something that you can actually obtain it would probably be a movie like Fantasy Mission Force the part Jackie Chan vehicle but it's like this wacky dirty dozen style adventure that happens to feature Jackie Chan uh, in a role that he did as a favor to uh, to the actual leading man and that's a, a good way to sort of see if uh, people are could be into that uh, a type of Taiwanese cinema that never gets talked of because it's only the classy 
Taiwanese cinema that gets talked of rightly because uh, Ang Lee deserves to be talked of but then there's the art stuff that I don't understand and it uh, doesn't appeal to me festival favorites and it's all sort of what gets uh, discussed when it comes to Taiwanese cinema Uh, something I don't personally like that you uh, acknowledge one thing and not the entire thing you know yeah uh, but uh, that's a discussion for another time sogoodreviews.com my video hub is lizykvideo.com and my twitter handle is at sogoodreviews and go celluloid uh, what's been going on uh, so far uh, what's uh, cooking in terms of uh, like like in the summer heat as we're hot now so what's cooking on Hangul celluloid uh, any big any big screen events that you attend or do, those are off the radar for a little while um, no they've been pretty much going on I mean um the the London Korean Film Festival we we all know runs from November to November but over the last couple of years they've been holding teaser screenings you know the big hit films of the year shown throughout the year leading up to the festival so there've been we've already I've already mentioned it once and I'm going to mention it again later but 1987 with Kim Tae-ri that was one of those there are endless things Claire's camera Hong Sang-soo um, is their next screening, which, of course, I'll be going to, even though I am the one least fan of Hong Sang-soo. I have a bit of an issue with him. So any Hong Sang-soo fans listening, I'm really sorry, but he's just he thinks he's funnier than he is. Uh, what's the gist there in terms of, like, uh, what's that uh, director famous for in terms of a movie or a, or a style? His his style is very Mike Lee, I guess, the Korean Mike Lee, right. mixed mixed with the Korean Woody Allen if you can believe it. It's it's a lot of small films. He's, he, he makes so many that he does them on a small budget, but it will all involve very dialogue-heavy situations with characters sitting around a table. I, I actually went to one of his screenings at the LKFF last year, and there was a girl, a blogger I know, who had never actually seen any of his stuff. And she said, can you describe what his movies are like? And I said, two people sitting at a table for an hour and a half talking, possibly two takes, possibly three. You know, it's that sort of deal. We sat down to watch the film, which I can't remember which it was. Which one out of the table talking movies that you did? (laughs) Well, exactly. The first scene, two people sitting in a kitchen round a table and they stayed there for three quarters of an hour. So that's Hong Sai Su for you. He's an auteur, and if you love him, you love him. If if you like normal Korean cinema, I'm sorry, he's a bit of a bore. Yeah, you need skill to maintain dialogue for an hour and a half, uh, you know, uh, especially in one setting. I don't mind it, but it needs to be good. It needs to be riveting to sort of uh, make that enjoyment factor come to life, like actors totally. acting, uh, you know. It works on stage, you know, and it can work in movies. Very, very much so, but it, as you say, it needs to be crafted, and it's not—it's not enough to say I like long takes, and I'm just gonna let it go. I mean, a lot of his, a lot of his stuff's improvised as well. So sometimes the actors hit it, sometimes they don't, and it just—it jars a little bit for me. He comes in on the budget. Uh, that's why he can't produce movies, I suppose. So supposedly he did quite recently say that every time he wants to make a movie he has to sell his car so you you <laughs> get the you get the idea of what what the deal is right on well throw out the plug for hangul celluloid i didn't so uh where can i find you online i am paul i run hangulcelluloid.com you can find me at hangulcelluloid.com i'm on facebook at facebook.com slash hangulcelluloid my twitter handles at hangulcelluloid pop along to the site i focus entirely on 
Korean movie reviews, interviews, and talks and essays and rants, if you like. Um, so there's there's plenty on there um, that we're going to be doing a few links in as we go through, um, but pop over to the site. For a, a protracted period of time, my Google search on the main homepage wasn't working. Um, it is now. I may have mentioned this before, but it is now. I'm very proud of it. I keep searching for stuff myself. <laughs> it works. Type Typing in friend gets you to my friend review. It works better than Google in that regard. You know, totally. So um, <laughs> if you if you do have a Korean saying in your head, you can always nip over there and without having to scroll through stuff, you can do a little Google search and it'll bring up all the the relevant pages along with, you know, ads. But that's <laughs> great. That, that's by the by. You can't get past that with Google, can you? Exactly. All right. Uh, we'll get a rundown for you in terms of what's to come in the episode on the movie Kilimanjaro. It's a basic episode, but it will contain sections despite. I'll place time codes in the show post so you can navigate to uh, the section you prefer. If you want to jump ahead to a review, it's okay. But uh, we're happy if you stay stay the entire time. And uh, by the way, if you're a first time listener to What's Korean Cinema, thank you very much. And I hope you stay on and I hope you... Uh, find something in the back catalogue that you wish to uh, review. We've done uh, things that might might be a little bit under the radar. We've done big things as well. Train to Busan, Handmaiden, and old-timey movies that might not be high-profile now, now, but they certainly have a place in Korean cinema history. We never really do random choices just to do a show. That's the point. So there's always uh, an intent to provide some context, you know. Uh, but anyway, first we talk of... Uh, uh, you know, it's a mixture of uh, the journey of our writer-director at hand uh, and, uh, you know, to the reception of uh, his movie, uh, Kilimanjaro. So, uh, and uh, we're going to include uh, how it uh, went during award season, uh, if Kilimanjaro had any say during the award season. And uh, we conclude uh, with the review of the film at the tail end of the episode. Well, it's the majority of the episode, really. But uh, at any rate, Kilimanjaro from 2000 and plot extracted from the City on Fire review goes as follows. Uh, the story starts with poor, out-of-work uh, character Lee Hai Chul, played by Park Chin Yang, in a room with his twin brother, police investigator Lee Hai Shik, also played by Park Chin Yang, tied up, beaten and drifting in and out of consciousness. And uh, you can see also see Haichol's ha uh, children at this point as he drifts in and out of consciousness. Ch- shots ring out and the kids are dead. So that's the start of your movie. Haichol <laughs> uh, wakes uh, <laughs> Haichol wakes his brother up long enough for him to witness a final act of uh, his desperation, and that is eating a bullet. So that's how it starts. Uh, after being recused from the investigation, the cop twin brother. Is suspended for six months. Uh, he's uh, under suspicion for not investigating honestly, as the suspect was his brother. And uh, Heichik uh, decides to head back to the town where the brothers grew up, a uh, very rural town. Uh, once back, he's mistaken for his brother, who uh, left uh, after angering many people. Luckily, he happens upon his brother's uh, former closest friend and gang leader, Thunder, played by An Sung Ki, who and uh, viewers might recognize An Sung Ki as the mostly silent assassin in Nowhere to Hide. And also Hong Kong film fans can see him uh, act against uh, Andy Lau in Battle of Wits. So there is that. Uh, Thunder g- gets him out of the immediate trouble he has found himself in. And while never telling Thunder he's actually Hey Shik, uh, his cop brother, he doesn't bother correcting him uh, when he's assumed to be Hey Chul. So there, there you go with the sort of 
is he acting or is he just sort of going with uh, going with the flow and then uh, never minding uh, never minding if uh, people find out if he's a cop or if he's the twin brother we'll get to that as the next two episodes including this one is focusing a little bit on korean action cinema and uh, korean cinema violence of the new wave because that is per definition uh, uh, action uh, we we first do a brief stop on this uh, movie from 2000 kilimanjaro and it's the debut feature of uh, director oh sung uk who had previously co-written christmas in august which is a, a little bit of a, a quoted a melodrama movie including by mm-hmm. by paul quinn and uh, you have talked of it gladly but uh, do set the stage a little bit because it came out before Sherry, Christmas in August. Did this, despite in the discussion anyway, get to be part of that Korean cinema new wave, despite being, so to say, made pre-new wave? Because um, you sometimes this was the distinction. But So so there's that. But uh, what are we talking about in terms of Christmas August? Is it uh, uh, a dramatic melodrama, terminal disease story, or was it uh, better than those tropes sound so uh if- it is better than those tropes sound but that's essentially what it is if you think of shiri coming out and the new korean cinema wave exploding you would assume that new korean cinema started in 2000 and moved forward films like christmas in august that came out before it in the interim became part of the new korean cinema wave it's films like christmas and august that were so important that new korean cinema is now described as going from the late late 90s through to you know the 2000s and whatever even though sherry was the big hitter christmas and august and the like Hurjin ho movies the the terminal illness things were huge prior to new korean cinema melodrama had been the big thing and new Korean cinema directors tried to change all that, but some just used new techniques, brought the big stars, and tried to create stories that were not just weepy of the week, even though they sound like they're weepy of the week. And Christmas in August is one of those. It's about a, a guy played by Hansa Q, who we've we've talked about endlessly. Um, he was the for a time the Tom Cruise of Korean cinema. He is dying. He hasn't told anybody he's dying, and he meets a young postal worker played by Shim Yuna, who was essentially, I guess, the Julia Roberts of new Korean cinema. Absolutely spellbindingly beautiful lady, great actress. She only did a few films, and then she went and got married and, you know, left, which is, I, I have a problem with. We, we've talked about it. I have a problem with actresses retiring. Don't live your life. Make your... Uh... Make move, moving pictures all for my sake. Exactly. It's just for my sake. They start forming a bond. They're clearly in love, but they never, ever say the words, I love you. Um, he doesn't tell her he's dying. When he takes very ill, he disappears on her while he's in hospital. She thinks he's betrayed her. Um, she, she throws bricks through his window. I'm not going to tell you anymore, but it is a heartfelt tearjerker, but it's not... It's not your American movie of the week. It's it's nuanced. It's funny. It's witty. It's stunningly beautiful. It's it's one of the most important films of the early New Korean cinema wave, and I urge you to check it out, whether you like melodrama or not. And that was uh, indeed the work of uh, our director at hand here, Sung Uk. 
and uh, he made his feature debut with uh, Kilimanjaro as director, as we mentioned. And uh, by, by like, look, looking at the date of the production year of 2000, you know, uh, by now, what was Korean cinema on a roll in terms of producing multiple genres in the wake of Shiri and regardless if they had started to like branch out into a variety of genres how, how did Oh Sung Uk's uh, debut movie fare at the box office? It went nowhere. Box office records for that far back, back are very fi- hard to find in detail you know they, they don't necessarily give you figures they'll give you a listing of you know what was the, the greatest films. I find the top 50 Korean films of 2000 and Kilimanjaro wasn't even in it. It it made next to no money. It it was critically seen as impressive as a debut, but it missed from critic and audience's point of view. It missed the mark entirely. Um, I have my thoughts on that, but we'll we'll bring all that in as we go on. But but during that production year, uh, if you remember, like the 2000, 2001, was could like Korean new wave cinema really producing? tons of genres or were they still sticking to uh, a sheer formula if you will no they were exploding in 2000 2001 which was the year Kilimanjaro would have been or was up for you know award ceremonies and what you have if you look at 2001 it's like a, a classic movie of the year list constantly you'd saw them with Jang Jae Young My Sassy Girl Bungie Jumping of Their Own one fine spring day, my wife is a gangster, which spawned endless, you know, f- strong female fighting things. Nabby, which is a science fiction thing about people going somewhere and getting their memory erased so that they can, you know, it's almost eternal sunshine of the spotless mind back in New Korean cinema. Haidama, which was the, the archetypal gangster comedy, you know, gangsters dressed up as monks, and you know to to stay away from the other gangsters etc et i recognize that plot from somewhere i haven't seen high dharma but it, it might as well be that i remember that plot sort of summary of that movie because that sounds so familiar what, what you just described you can look at nuns on the run or <laughs> that's a deep cut well done my friend <laughs> nuns on the run and there's another movie sister something with Whoopi goldberg which sister, is act, a, sister act sister act which they're all stretched out of the same sort of deal of oh look we'll hide in a in a nunnery whatever um but you know 2001 you know kick the moon my wife is a gangster Guns and Talks, Volcano High, Friend, which neither of us thought that much of, but which was massive. It was a huge year, so it's understandable that Kilimanjaro didn't grab as much as it might have, but it wouldn't have but, grabbed. But it, would, but it was allowed to be made. Like, like it's not like this was the redheaded stepchild of uh, genre filmmaking that uh, was uh, just disowned because it was this way. I'm sure movies like this existed. Uh, this this uh, mix of quiet, violent and quirky in one kind of thing where it's uh, without being arthouse necessarily, but it's very much um, it's, uh, it's cogs are moving not in the expected way, if you will. Well, totally. And I mean, it did win awards. 
You know, it won the Grand Bell Award for Best Supporting Actor and the Blue Dragon for Best Supporting Actor for Park Chin Yang. I didn't find any info on that. that, that that's uh, a surprise to me now, uh, actually. So that's, uh, that's that's rather amazing that uh, it was still remembered at that time. And, you know, it happens in terms of awards that awards jurors that they they know the movies that are out there and uh, totally, totally. Uh, so that's rather cool what was the uh, awards it picked up again it it was both grand bell and blue dragon for best supporting actor for park chin yang um who you know you'll, you we know from the uninvited which we we actually did a podcast on a little while ago um he was in high dharma he was on uh, Man on the Edge, The Letter, White Valentine with John Jihun. He was in a film called Miss Conspirator, which I got free on Yes Asia, and it's the only Korean film I own that I haven't watched yet. Because it's the because it's the one time they made me feel special. <laughs> so I'm well, gonna. I just, I, I just look at it and just think, no, it's going to be terrible. It's like Scrooge McDuck. Like there's the his first coin is in a glass case. This was my first freebie from Yes Asia. <laughs> there you go. So. You know, but even on top of all that, and I will let you talk again in a minute, if you look at the year it was made, 2000, because the awards were 2001, the films it was up against in Korean cinema, you know, for anybody who knows anything about Asian cinema, you're going to recognize them. 2000 films, JFA from Park Chan-wook, Ilmer, The Isle by Kim Ki-duk, Chun Yang by M. Kwon-tak, Barking Dogs Never Bite by Bong Joon-ho, The Filed King by Kim Ji-un. Die Bad, a virgin strip bear by our bachelors, an interview again with Shim Yuna. It's like a, you know, this is the new Korean cinema thing. You know, you're, you're kind of right, Paul, because here's the thing about me. Back in those days, and maybe a few years afterwards, uh, I I was still mainly focusing on Hong Kong, but I th- these titles are so familiar to me, title-wise, right? Because they were, they were viewed, they were... Uh, pe- people on forums were excited by these. Uh, you know, they, they, it, it was never really. Uh, I never experienced any negative backlash. It, it, it was an excitement in the air in terms of, my God, that's coming out. That's awesome. Uh, Tactic gas station. That's awesome. Barking dogs never bite. And admittedly, these are sort of like titles that you don't forget. Either. It's not like they were a fiery explosion ultimatum. You know, they, they, we're not talking generic, uh, generic titles here. And you, you want to know. After all was said and done in terms of, well, I got to get into this Korean cinema game. So what's the movie I'm going to head into first? Do you, uh, do you remember if I ever told you what my first Korean movie was? I don't think you did. Go on. No, it's hide. Why that one? Uh, yeah, why? I just did. I, 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 I get it, but I just wonder why that one specifically. I don't know. I, I Maybe I thought it sounded cool and looked cool based on screen caps. I don't regret it, but it was Surely was nothing I'd ever seen before. Uh, you know, I didn't expect a sort of wrestling match and the letterbox frame bouncing along with the wrestling match. And I mean, totally. the actual black bars, <laughs> you know, bunching, uh, bouncing. I didn't expect quirkiness like that. And uh, I know it wasn't representative of the entire Korean cinema, but um, that's the one I started with. Some, for some effing reason, I got rid of my Korean DVD. Uh, I don't know why. And uh, I replaced it with the Tartan DVD, UK DVD, and it's the Tartan DVD is so widely inferior to the original Korean yeah, yeah, DVD. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I'm just if it makes you feel any better, my Korean version of Nowhere to Hide is somewhere in London. 
in, in someone's house and I can't remember who I lent it to. Um, <laughs> right. So, you, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to start, as we were saying earlier on, I'm going to start kicking ass and taking names, really. And you mentioned cost and, uh, you know, what was the costing of Park Shin Yang in the male leader playing dual roles? I know what the heights and Sun Ki, this automatic guarantee of commercial success on paper anyway, or were these simply quality actors first and foremost rather than money generators? On paper, yes, definitely. In reality, no. You know, the people that did go to see it and the people after the people that had been to see it and slagged it off, the next people that went to see it went because of Anson Key and Park Xinyang. But in general, though, if, if those persons are on a marquee, uh, would that excite the general audiences or are they more thespians uh, than anything else? They're just they're great actors. Certainly Anson Key. Um, if he was in a movie at that point, he would have drawn crowds. We just said that um, Hansel Q was the Korean Tom Cruise, if you if you like. Hansel Q at that time was, I guess, the Korean Paul Newman. Maybe um, he he was in his youth the poster boy for the beautiful Korean actor, golden age if you like. You know, really well thought of in the way the Cary Grants and stuff were in the West. Um, so, yes, he'd draw people, but word of mouth is, is a hard thing. And no matter how good a movie is, if or no matter how good an actor is, if a movie said to be less than it should be, it's not going to pull as many people as it otherwise might. Obviously, I've only seen the roles around this time going back. I mean, like the earliest role, it might have been Festival which is uh, not mm-hmm. that much older than Kilimanjaro, uh, 96 or something. Yeah. But it's, he, he always came off, the, came off as this, uh, this very natural actor, uh, not uh, showy, uh, which I'm sure he can be in certain roles, depending on, uh, but it, it's still um, you just sort of watch the actor do his thing and don't think too much about the fact that you're watching the actor. You know, you don't think, oh my God, I'm watching Tom Cruise. Oh my God, I'm watching George Clooney act. No, it's Anson Key playing a character. Totally. And I mean, I, I did name dropping aside, I did interview him a couple of years ago. And what you see on screen is really the type of guy he is. He's so natural. He just does what he does. He's a very gentle, very soft spoken man. And, you know, even in his gangster roles, as we'll talk about in Kilimanjaro, there's a there's a soft spokenness to him. There's a there's a almost a cheeky grin to him at times that's really, really natural. And it's it's all him. And you you mentioned uh, that surprise fact because I I was uh, convinced that um, this didn't bag any awards. But uh, you you mentioned that the 2001 Grand Bell Awards uh, ceremony uh, that year also saw winners such as Park Chan Wook's JSA for Best Film and Actor. I guess uh, Song Kang Ho would that be uh, the Best Actor um, recipient in that case, or did it? Yes. Yeah, totally, totally. You, you also had Best Director uh, and uh, Actress going to a movie called Haru, which I admittedly have never heard of, uh, d- 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 despite recognizing so many titles. And also the firefighting drama Libera Me won a couple of technical awards. So you, you, you mentioned the 2001 output and we can go on forever. But uh, what was Haru like? Uh, what, what, what was that movie in general about and genre-wise and stuff? I may be wrong in saying this, but you may not recognize the name Haru. You might, if you if you do a, a quick search, you may more recognize it under its English title, which was A Day. That passed me by back in the day as well. So. <laughs> it's, it's much, much more known as A Day. It's that thing where the odd Korean film will 
become known both by its Korean title and its English title, but everybody talks about it in terms of new Korean cinema as a day. Um, it was directed by Han Ji Seung, and it starred Ko So Young, which who was a, a huge new Korean cinema actress. Uh, she was the lady who was in Double Agent or Comrade that we podcasted a little while ago. Um, she was in The Fox with Nine Tails. She was in JFA. As the uh, as the Swiss uh, Swiss Korean uh, Swiss Korean character that comes in to investigate. Uh... That's actually Lee Young Ai. Right. On. Uh, okay. She's just she's a, a separate, a smaller character, but she she is in it. Haru also stars Lee Sung Jae, who has the the dubious now uh, fame of having been in Korea's first. 3D film called Natalie, which was essentially story light, softcore pornography. In terms of the actual importance of a day, it's it's the same sort of deal. It's a couple who can't have kids who then go for artificial insemination. They find they're pregnant, then find the baby is going to be born without a full brain, and they have a choice to bring it to term, knowing that it'll die in 24 hours. Or abort it, and it's 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 another illness death thing that was just huge at that time, and it's another one of those films that, believe it or not, it's one of the sweetest, warmest, for a, half the running time, one of the funniest, genuinely funny little films you could ever see that just rips your heart out halfway through. It's an it's an incredible film. It's gone. Uh, it, it seems a little bit forgotten uh, spontaneously. Uh, maybe just because people tend to like the sort of wild genre output that 2000 and 2001 provided, and maybe the dramas get a little bit drowned out. Uh, it, it, you know, at least in the West, anyway. Uh, and I think as well as that, when you when you've got yourself up against directors like Her Jin Ho, who did Christmas in August, they make such a big name for themselves. Other people doing similar things will be well received and people like me will say it's a classic film, but it'll be seen by far fewer people because lots more people have heard of Her Jin Ho and go, oh, look, Her Jin Ho. And also, by the way, and this is not a slag on, on Totten or anything, but you know, when they started distributing Korean cinema and Asian cinema, they, they they found a banner that worked for them and that was, you know, Asia Extreme. And, totally. Uh, and and they, they included, you know, JSA and the likes under that banner and, and they went for genre and, and, and provided obviously the UK market with stuff you appreciated but it's hard when that banner is sort of raised a little bit higher than other genre efforts to, to have everything noticed uh, in one go you know. Totally agree and it could also be said that you can't really blame them because you know things like A Tale of Two Sisters and the like and JSA are gonna sell a terminal illness film, no matter how good it is for an international audience, they're just going to think, well, that's just TV movie movie of the week, and and they're not going to buy into it as much. So, for many years, though, uh, if you personally sort of checked in, if uh, Oh Sung Uk had made another movie, you found out that nope, still the one, up until 2015, that is. When 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 Paul Queen googled in 2015, something happened in terms of the filmography of Oh Sung Uk. There you go. But, you know, um, we've already said, you know, he, he wrote in his diary in 15 years time, I'll do another movie. But it does have to be said that he wasn't behind the door in terms of work. You know, Kilimanjaro didn't do well. And he decided to go back to his previous job, which was writing screenplays or co-writing screenplays. You've already said he did 
or co-wrote Christmas in August. He also co-wrote Lee Chang Dong's first film, Green Fish, which hard, starred Han Suk again. Um, he co-wrote Christmas in August. He co-wrote Uprising with Shim Yuna in it. Um, he co-wrote H. He he just he wrote and wrote again a list of new Korean cinema films that make you know obsessives like me go whoa really. So he wasn't sitting behind the door. He just I guess he he was regrouping and it took him 15 years to decide to to step behind the the camera again. And indeed, in 2015 it happened. Uh, we had a return of uh, Oh Sung-uk in the form of The Shameless, described by the director as a hard-boiled romantic noir thriller. It starred Kim Nang-gil and the housemates uh, John Do-yeon. It had a total of 413,000 admissions, almost 414,000 admissions by the uh, end of its run, making it the 39th highest grossing among the local films of that year. Uh, top three was otherwise the movies like Inside Men, uh, the mentioned uh, Assassination and Oh to My Father, uh, with, with those top two clocking in at 12 and 13 million admissions. So there's a little bit of a gap. Just a little bit. A little bit, yeah. But if you watch that list, it's not like top 30 has like 8 million or anything. You know, you know, it it, it, it drops off pretty quickly. You, you, you know what movies people went to see in droves. So. Yeah, but uh, regardless, the memories of the Shameless, and uh, did did you personally register that this was a return of the director of Kilimanjaro, or, or, or that only came up when you started browsing filmographies and you put two and two together that way? Half and half. I saw the Shameless again through the London Korea Film Festival, and they brought Oh Sung Yuk over to do a Q and A for that film, and they also showed Kilimanjaro. And a couple of the things he co-wrote as well. So when I found out about The Shameless, it was instantly linked with Kilimanjaro from the get-go. Whether I would have recognized his name or not, doubtful. But, you know, as I say, as soon as I heard of The Shameless, it was like, oh, it's the Kilimanjaro guy back after 14 years. So what was the movie like, yeah, The Shameless? And is that a fair a fair summary about a director? Hard-boiled romantic noir thriller. It's a decent action hard-boiled romantic thriller it's okay um it did as you know it didn't do that well but it was up that year against assassination against Ryu Sung Wan's veteran you know and they were taking 92 million dollars or 86 million dollars at the box office compared to the shameless's two million but there again you know for most people it was a director they'd never heard of it's decent enough Jun Do-yeon is really good in it. It's essentially she's her boyfriend has killed a man. She's approached by a detective who wants her to help him catch her boyfriend. And it's decently well made. I wouldn't say it's that memorable, but it's certainly worth more than 39th in the box office. It's a decent enough film and it should have been a lot more successful, certainly than Kilimanjaro was. All right, Don, so that's a sort of background and the, the journey, uh, the ongoing journey uh, of uh, our director and uh, back to Kilimanjaro then, and uh, as for my short opinion of it, it's a curious piece of violent drama with quirky droll sections in it too, so it's got contrasting moods uh, that occupies it, and uh, I, I know the thematic journey clearly is there amidst the mood switching, but it didn't break through to me on viewing one, that is. But I have a feeling being ready for the tone and the atmosphere of Kilimanjaro during viewing two 
because I'm, I'm encouraged to actually take it on again. I think that will enhance it because the I know mood switcheroo, uh, you know, like the back of my hand because I watch Hong Kong cinema. <laughs> so this is, but I still wasn't quite prepared for what I got, uh, which is good. You should go in blank, but uh, I got a, most of it from the most out of it from hour one and onwards. The, then things started to yeah. click, but uh, I, I struggled to get a grasp on it. The, for the first hour but uh, that mood switcheroo by the way includes detours into bloody violence too which makes this a violent action piece uh, partly too so that's my short opinion for now what do you want to say about Kilimanjaro you, you who have seen it at least two or three times Kilimanjaro is one of the most frustrating films I've ever watched it's like the action film waiting to happen there are so many times through it if you're sitting down in front of it expecting you know a hard hitting action-ish drama there are points where you think it's going to kick off now it's going to kick off now and it kind of doesn't and I, I the first time i watched it i can remember sitting thinking when when's somebody gonna punch somebody you know it, it, it's utterly frustrating and it took me a long time to get past saying i, I have no time for it i do have time for it now and the reason is that just as Sung yuk co-wrote Christmas in August, believe it or not, Melodrama King, Her Jin Ho, co-wrote Kilimanjaro. So so as you watch this supposed action drama, there's a lot of melodrama, a lot of single piano lines as a character stands sort of staring. That, I will almost guarantee, is Her Jin Ho pulling in the melodrama. It's a, it's a playful aspect of the movie, I think, uh, that uh, they... Uh bring the piano and the and the and the violin sections almost ironically but i don't think it's ironic it's just uh director o communicating in a way that that is frustrating yes but it's it's somewhere in there and i got some of it which made me curious to see how much i can get on another viewing uh, which totally, is totally. not the worst grade in the world to you know part frustration rather than full frustration but uh, i wouldn't blame anyone for walking away from this thinking that it's almost Takeshi Kitano wannabe and not a very good one at that uh, the one thing I I keep going on but the one thing from my mind is having having suggested it among among other things I'm sort of glad we picked it because at 2000 when you think of new Korean cinema exploding Kilimanjaro can almost be seen as an attempt to mix the past with the present they're trying to make an action thing but they're trying to make it familiarly melodramatic and I don't think it works as well as they would have hoped it would have, but I can see what they were trying to do. So I almost pity it. Uh, but it's uh, it shows that it's not fucking around when we start the movie. Obviously, we got loud noises and we got dead kids. So it's already been shot, and uh, you, you got a character slipping around in a thick, thick sort of pool of blood, and uh, and you got the age-old structure to remind uh, you. It reminds you of that it might be attempting an age-old structure in terms of how did we get to this point. Mm-hmm. It actually doesn't go that way. It, it merely goes forward. I was convinced. Okay flashback and we're going to get back to this moment we do get back to this moment but not the same moment we get back to a similar moment uh, but it's not the kiss of death for a movie um, especially when it's clearly this hard-edged uh, I, I paid attention to the movie that it's clearly is 
has no compassion for uh, for children, for instance, which is an Asian cinema trait that uh, you might not like and might embrace. That it has no sort of uh, it, it doesn't view children in this ah oh, where like uh, you never hurt for children. Well, in Asian cinema, you do hurt for children because yeah. uh, it's part of drama, <laughs> you know. Uh, so, but, but there are lots of questions here. Uh, structure and atmosphere, as we find out, Paul, won't be fully conventional, but um, we, we are thrown in the midst of something, uh, in the midst of an ongoing investigation. Why did the brother shoot himself and all of that? And it doesn't provide a lot of distinction at this point, but uh, at the very least, you know, as we get going 10 minutes in, 20 minutes in, I had question marks above my head, but it, it was also moving forward in a way where like, okay, at least you're only 100 minutes long, so you have my confidence to try and build stuff now. And I don't think that's a bad thing in terms of uh, totally moving forward, you know. Was that something you, you remember thinking as well? Like, ah, it's going to do a flashback and come back to the moment where the brother shoots himself, you know. First time very much so. And I mean, it's so long since I'd seen Kilimanjaro before I rewatched it for for this. As I put it on, I remember thinking, oh, it doesn't jump back. And I remember the night before last, picking up the DVD case and looking on the back and saying exactly what you've just said. It's only 100 minutes. It's probably not as bad as I remember it. I can I can invest in this because, well, it's Anson Key. What, what, what is the frustrating thing as we lead into the... It's mainly set in the village, obviously, but we're going to have to lead into that. We're going to have to uh, transfer to that, and I, I have some notes on that. But what is the frustrating part? Is it getting to it in a clear way, or, or, you, or, or like is it coherent at the very least, or what is the frustrating thing for you in terms of uh, how, how he moves forward? I think it lacks coherence to a degree, but I think he constantly meanders. And every time, even where when he's got a really hard-hitting scene, there are a lot of times in the movie where you get to the bit where after someone's been beaten, where I wanted a, a nice big fight scene. In an action film, I guess you want action, and there wasn't enough of it for me. And I think a lot of what was there instead was meant to be emotional and just came across as padding. Yeah, there is... Um, that is present, uh, at least uh, uh, later in my notes, that... that notion of switching moods which i i it's not the most frustrating thing uh, uh but but it's also it doesn't make fully that much sense to be that playful and that violent so tightly together but what what i thought at least for my view, first viewing here is that i couldn't really get a grip on that he was going back to his village now and uh, the first character that he, he he argues with a lot of characters which is sort of funny that uh, he, he there's a beef with everyone he, he meets here and uh, he's a complete dick of a character you know yeah. <laughs> so so we, we we can't attach to any um uh, emotional plight as such because he's such a dick of a character um there, there, there's pent up emotions and there's dramas with everyone but I, I couldn't fully get a grip of on that transition from he's recused from the investigation and he's meeting someone who I thought was an informer, but maybe he's already in the village and he's, uh, you know, he's uh, being chewed out by that character who's clearly having uh, uh, financial troubles. And uh, it's that part of the movie where I thought like, well, you're only 100 minutes, but meandering might be the very thing he's doing here or... I'm not off the exposition dumps to a geographical sort of location title cause of a screen, but I found it troublesome that uh, I, I wasn't quite sure of. Uh, 
how it was transitioning or if it was transitioning. And then when it was in the village, then, okay, I guess it has now. I mean, from my point of view, all I could think was, you know, directors decided that he's going to go from that cop, blah, blah, blah. He's going to end up in the village and have his first altercation. And the lead from one to the other was whatever way he could get him there. Really, it just it there was an incoherence to it as far as I'm concerned. And I've watched it more than once. You just think, why? What exactly? Why? And it, he's just there, and you let it go. But it's one of those constant little niggles where throughout there are just there are some motivations that you just think, why? Why? And it, I, I just assume it's written in a script because they thought it was a good idea and they didn't really think about how or why it should happen. Uh, it leads into uh, the the whole notion of him being beaten up uh, by uh, the the main villain, I mm. guess, uh, Jong. There's a magnificent car stunt in this movie where the uh, our asshole character, <laughs> Park Jin Yang, he yeah. is walking in front of a car in the middle of the street and obviously the car is honking behind him, but he's not going to move. Nope. So then they decide to drive him over instead, and it's a stunt done in two takes or shot with two cameras. But regardless, if it was shot uh, divided up, the stuntman runs up the car and attempts to obviously roll over it, and then the the car the, the shot from behind is him rolling off the car, or it's the continuation of continuation of the same first shot. That is excellent. That is an excellent stunt because it feels like well pat him up and hope it doesn't hurt i think that's exactly what happened and i can't get enough of that stuff when it's done that right in that uh, sort of physical it's re- it doesn't feel like a calculated stunt i think it was you you, you can't be all willy-nilly and just have stuntmen run over uh just uh just like that it, it is cinema after all but um it, it it is a show-stopping thing that, that but 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 the movie doesn't hinge on stunts and action as such, right? To get to give uh, listeners an idea that uh, this isn't its bread and butter to provide a stunt showcase, right? Far far from it. That leads into obviously him being beaten up by Jong, who thinks he's his twin brother. By that point, you obviously realize that there's someone else mistaking someone for uh, for someone else, uh, and uh, it, it is frustrating and not funny. I wished it was funnier because he's not doing himself any favors by being this complete jackass. No wonder he attracts violence, including this case of mistaken identity, where Park Shin Yang uh, showcases a willingness to be physically involved in the movie right if you look at the the scene on top of the roof involving water and ice uh, that is an actor that is not saying no to being thrown into a, a scene for long right any thoughts in general about uh, the scene is, is it uh, effective uh, for the story effective as a little scene <laughs> I, I think that's one of the most effective little set pieces within the film i mean the fact that he is ice thrown at him water freezing water thrown over him and for the first half hour many of the characters are constantly pointing out how absolutely freezing it is you know and it is it's the middle of winter so you know he threw himself into it hook line and sinker but again you've got these little moments of oh yeah and then it sort of lulls and i know they're trying to put across whatever it is they're trying to put across but it it almost seems again jilted sort of jarring a little bit um so the the great bits just stand as little great bits within 
you know, a sea of cold water, really. It, that's why the the sort of thematic journey that, that other reviewers have attached to didn't really hit me. I mean, I could attach more to the basic aspect of, well, he's got a rival now in this town. It's this character, Jong, that lo- doesn't look threatening, actually. He looks like he's a gangster that's, that's about 12 years old, yeah, we, totally. we, which I thought was funny that, uh, well... He actually can dish out some some heinous violence. This uh, almost uh, semi non well, no, literally non threatening uh, gangster character. Yeah. Even uh, even An Sun Ki, who's so laid back in this movie, could just frighten that little guy by a stare. I bet. But mm-hmm. uh, I I did like those uh, things. But the, that's the basic sort of you connect to again. Fine, it's one hundred minutes. I have something to connect to. And now, and uh, he's doing some droll humor very well, I thought, because, uh, you know, Anson Key's entry uh, into the movie, I, I think, is, is wonderful. It's, one of, it's, it's an entry for an actor who doesn't care if he gets an entrance or not. Because he just have his wardrobe on, it's cold out, he picks up the guy who he may or may not think is the twin brother, you know, and uh, he picks him up, pays Jong off, and... Then we're off and running. And what does that say about Ansun Ki that he simply simply enters without any any noise? Yeah, I think it says it all, really. Uh, you know, out of all the characters, I I liked his character the most just because of the the ease with which he did everything. He's obviously, you know, there's there's talk later on about his prowess with a knife against a throat. The fact that he's so seemingly gentle, he just goes in, he just picks the guy up, he pays him off, and he, he takes him off for, you know, wherever, and they, they get food, and he puts a little hat on. And and, and then puts uh, puts the cop in at the, on the back of his bike, but in, in like the little cart uh, or container that he would place like groceries into. So it's, he's almost folded into that thing. <laughs> right. That all works for me. I liked Anson Key's character. It it kept me. It's what kept me for the hundred minutes. To be honest with you, is that the, an ambiguous thing? You think that he uh, that he genuinely thinks it is the dead twin brother, or he's simply not uh, ready to acknowledge that this is his co brother? I think he honestly thinks he is the dead twin brother. There, there's a problem with that as well. There's one gangster who appears in scenes on both sides, you know, the gangsters who know he's um, not Hachel, um and the gangsters who don't know he's not Hachel, um, he appears in both, but the cover's never blown. I was aghast, if you like. I just was expecting him to turn around and go, you know, he's not his brother, right? And it just didn't happen. I think, I think whether it's Wish or whatever else, I think Ansu Key's character does actually think that He's found his old friend. He's he's alone. He's looking, you know, he's done with his gangster thing. He wants to open a, a, a restaurant of some sort. So I think he's looking for his old compatriots to to move to a new life. And he's he's willing to just grab onto whatever he can. That is evident very much so. And I also like the fact that it is set in a rural town where there's, there's, there, we have gangsters, but it's not rampant or anything. And that means that some gangs are going to have... A, a tougher time than the others, uh, especially if they are sort of semi-disbanded, which funders gangs seem to be. I mean, they they, they don't look uh, like 
hard types and, and Thunder doesn't care if he doesn't look hard. Maybe the dragon art on his jacket was hard once upon a time, but it certainly isn't now. And uh, Yeah, very much so. That template, pl- placing gangster warfare in this rural town, jackass character or not, that's when I could connect to some things. That's the flow I wished was there. and uh, but, but being so spotty... Mixed with quirky, that works in individual sequences, extracted sequences, sequences, and being so quiet about what the dramatic theme and theme thematic is, is unfortunately like we like non-verbal stuff. We we like things to be ambiguous, but unfortunately, you can lose that battle too as a director. Yeah, totally, totally. There's a fine line. Admittedly, the only reason I found out that. Well, reviews have stated that it is a little bit about loneliness. That was due to reviews. Uh, I I didn't I couldn't quite spot it in the movie, which uh, which is a shame. I mean, it's building structure, yes, but it, that is about loneliness necessarily. Well, I, how, how can I feel it's about loneliness when the character is a complete dick uh, in, in in this totally. case? Uh, granted, uh, he's effective physically, and one of my favorite moments uh, is the punch up in the car. Where Jong is now apologizing, I think, for for mis- the mistaken identity, and yeah. Park Shin Yang just punches Jong uh, in the face like three times, and there's like the, the real punches, like uh, it sounds like he's hitting like big thick slabs of meat. You know, totally. you would have dull sound effects, and that was great. There was no fakery to that. There was just like three conscious <laughs> uh you know uh, and and your face would be messed up after that uh you know totally, uh, yeah. not, not just your nose and that works because uh you then are disarmed by the fact that well jong is probably not gonna hurt anyone anytime soon because uh, it's a pretty pathetic character so uh, and yeah. we're, we're gonna find out that he, he has some chops in, in if you will um, so some droll humor comes through very nicely at one point uh, one of the members of the Thunder Gang he has uh, for some reason gotten hold of uh, the twin brother's ashes and he throws away that uh, bag sort of foolishly uh, he doesn't know that, that that's probably because the way it's tied up anyone would probably guess that it's someone's ashes or something important he throws that away just casually and then goes about goes about his particular business that i could extract as being funny but um, we, we were still in in a part of the movie where well I'm, I'm getting a percentage of this but i want to get more I, I, I like i want to give give more of a crap than i'm currently giving and it takes until the one hour mark before um, that stream of consciousness that the uh, director sort of puts on screen starts to cohere into something uh, uh, somewhat more meaningful because the, yeah, the last half hour is one big, you know, violent sequence essentially uh, without spoiling it. But uh, was that the same for you as well? Or when did you connect to uh, the things that were good for you? Almost on exactly the same minute as you. It's about an hour in and you suddenly, this sort of clench in, in your back that you've been sitting waiting, waiting, it sort of eases a little bit as it, as it becomes more coherent and it heads, heads towards that final thing. In terms of the you know, the ashes thing and the bag, if you look at really any Korean cinema, you see a white box in a, a white bag. It is ashes. Everybody knows it's ashes. That's the way they're always given. And that, I think, was was a deliberate thing to try and show how uncaring that character was. But it passed me by. 
and you know what the problem is also that that's he, he refers him as the sergeant you know thunder sergeant or at least was you know he's now struggling and at one point he's incredibly upset because he's talking about i lost my retirement pay uh, and uh, and he hugs thunder and thunder thunder hugs him and it's that emotional moment where the sergeant if you will has lost uh, you know any hope of uh, gaining something financially and that was also completely off the radar for me in terms of i in what scene was i supposed to connect to this and it's it's almost too directly put in front of us and if you can't catch up really quickly i think you have a problem on your hand in terms of um, coherency and and it comes back to that note i had that it's it's a bit too much stream of consciousness and you can't be stream of consciousness when you're attempting to mean something you know you know you you're not messing around it's not doing it for comedy totally i mean that scene from my point of view linked to a lot of things earlier on there there are repeated characters who specifically mention how difficult life is how shit life is and and that sort of you know the whole i've lost my retirement is seems to be part of the same thing. And I, again, think that's Ho Jin-ho. If you look at what he does in his other films, what's said and what's not said, what's not said here should have been said and what shouldn't have been said is constantly spoken about over the top. Again, it it just made me think, yeah, this, this is, yeah, it's about loneliness, which he doesn't really say and people will miss because he doesn't say it. And yes, it's about how difficult life is no matter who you are in Korea at that time, whether you be a gangster or a post-gangster trying to to make an honest living, and that's spoken about too much, that the balance just isn't there. Do, do, do you think uh, there's any... You know, you know, first of all, are you at all familiar with the quirky and violent tone that Japanese filmmaker Takeshi Kitano puts forth in his movies? I'm certainly aware, yeah. And and if if you look at the sort of quirky stuff that he and his, his like do there are a lot of earlier Korean action films that, or drama films even, that try to almost ape that a little bit. If you look at like Guns and Talks or, you know, those sort of things, they're almost, I I avoid saying comedy because they're not comedy as such, but they are quirky and they are in part silly as well as being, serious and they find the balance well and i can see what you're saying here i don't think he manages it that well no it's it's more like i i I can see that that might be an inspiration especially because it depicts uh both in flashbacks and in the current story that gangsters are you know waiting around they're off duty they hang out they barbecue they have fun in takeshi kitano's um sauna team there's that issue of well, all the gangsters are on hold, so they're on that beach for a long while and do very silly games together. <laughs> and and Takeshi obviously knows that so well to um, make us laugh at the strangeness of that the, that the Yakuza world now as yeah. they they have to boil it down to this because currently we can't do anything else. And then yeah. you got some pretty hardcore violence once it time once it's time to. To return to the to the big city and the Yakuza world and all of that. So, uh, but but you you know that's him and he, he he's got he's got that style down. And uh, here it's um, you know the flashbacks to the good times during the actual beach weather scenes. 
which which is obviously with the with the dead twin brother there to connect things and see that they once had had a good life together and now they're in a conflict that's gonna last for half an hour in the movie you know full half hour of just torture and violence but i i wouldn't say that that's when it all comes to life in terms of boom i know it's about what i know what it's about dramatically now it's uh structurally you know not the worst thing to do but connect is what i don't uh, associate with uh, kilimanjaro again being prepared for the second viewing might help a little bit too okay i got a few more pieces now so two viewings i'm good but you know who knows it, it, it's still problematic when all is said and done i don't think you can ever erase that from kilimanjaro no and i i think to to appreciate it on a second viewing you've almost got to assume it's a different film than it was trying to be. You've got to look at different sides of it. You know, it's that, it's that same thing as I, I mentioned it as one of, you know, one of my favorite classic films, Sorum, which everybody assumed was a horror and it's not a horror. Everybody that went to see it as a horror hated it because it's not a horror. Um, and if they just looked at it as a really dark, dark drama, they would have got a lot more out of it. Um, the same here, people, going to it looking for an action thing aren't really going to get what they want but if you go and look at it as a more emotional drama and think of it in terms of the interactions between Anson Q and Park Shin Yang yeah you'll get more out of it but you're not looking at it as the director wanted you to see it he wanted you to see it as an action drama so I think it feels on both counts really yeah, very much so. But by the hour in, you realize that, okay, he's used a sort of free-for-all tone, not everything lands, but uh, we we are indeed fed that piece of drama that uh, Haichul was sort of a dear gangster brother to Thunder. And having Ansun Ki be very getting ambiguous beats to work with, it still comes through. I think he, he's got a few signature scenes yeah. In terms of that, at, at one point, I think uh, the uh, the Yang character, he's uh, they're riding on the bike together and he's shouting over the loud bike. And as they're going down the road, obviously, there's environmental sounds and Ansun Ki isn't hearing what he's saying necessarily uh, because he's, he's making a little bit of confession, I think. Uh, and in the end, it doesn't matter that they break through to each other that way which you know can both be sad and tragic but also okay it doesn't matter we, we got a good thing going here so he he's hitting he's hitting points and uh, and working towards um, towards uh, you know the big conflict with uh, the gangster character Jong and uh, it, it becomes infectious in a way their shenanigans they're, they're not heavy duty gangsters at one point they key his car or some crap like that so. yeah, jump up and die on it for heaven's exactly. sake so they're, they're, they're kids and they're caught at one point and what kicks off that whole sequence is a big probably the biggest laugh in the movie because because they're caught by Jong's uh, henchmen and they bring them in and uh, they tell Jong that we've ran out of scotch tape <laughs> to tie them up and we obviously are not going to spoil the whole big sequence but um, it's prolonged violence and torture and characters getting in the way in violent ways that apes the violent impact of scene one this movie doesn't mess around when it comes to taking out characters and uh, yeah it might not have been like this fully coherent experience that led us into this sequence but 
for what it's worth, Paul, I think it's downright stunning what he does here, at least at the very least technically. And but it's shocking as hell the things we see here towards the end. Very, very much so. I was, I was personally shocked by how bleak it was. Um, I'm not, I'm not giving anything away, and we're going to talk about another film in the next podcast, which I also was shocked by its ultimate cynicism and bleakness. But this hit me as far more bleak than I remembered it. And I guess in a story of people whose lives are so difficult, it was going to end in this way, I guess. And it's the most memorable part for me, both because of the the stunning way the violence is executed and also... Loud it too. Is, it's so loud as well. Totally. And it is it is memorable in terms of its utter bleakness. It's It's the most memorable moment in the film because it is so shocking. It's very real, um, and he dispatches of the quirky. For characters, it's earth-shattering. You know, they reach their breaking point. And we might have thought that was spotty before, but as performed as their breaking point becomes manifested, you know, for environmental reasons, being uh, the environment they're in, they're living in, and for life reasons. It's really quite stunning, and you sort of wish that the drama had built a little bit better better because uh, you, you are supposed to be shattered to seeing these characters break down and uh, violence is both calculated and accidental here and um, and uh, really well executed I mean uh, it's obviously you know scripts and sound effects but uh, the the, uh, the stunt coordination uh, really uh, is something else here I mean uh, we were not talking stunt necessarily but you gotta make uh, mild spoiler but uh, you know uh, there's machine gun fire in the same sequence and you d- didn't know that from this from the start of the sequence with the scotch tape boy is that um, devastating my main problem is as we I probably said far too many times the fact that I was trying to find something to care about for a lot of the film yeah. as it as it meandered and obviously I center on on Ansunki because he is the best character in terms of somebody to link to if it had been a lot more coherent if it had be, had more balanced action I guess I wouldn't have got to I would have got to the end and found it devastating because it is devastating there was a part of me felt like that but as much of me got to that scene and thought thank God, some action at last. And I was almost relieved because I'd missed it so much and I wanted it so much. And I think that's a real mishit and it takes away from that final scene. Maybe, as you say, on a, a rewatch, I could get it together to to care about that more. But I was just, I was relieved. I was glad to see it happening, which shouldn't be the case. No, I mean, if, or to, to really state it clearly, I, you know, it's the sequence in itself that I think is affecting, but not uh, because of the build-up before. The build-up before has been spotted, but the sequence itself is so riveting uh, technically, and uh, that it uh, gets the effect across, especially violent effects across that it does. Yeah. Is uh, is just technically up there? You know, maybe the sole stunt here is. Uh, Park Shin Yang seemingly him just crashing his head into this fish tank. Mm. And you, you obviously, it's breakaway glass, obviously, but they, they make things look hard and physical to a point where it's um, it's gonna take a little bit of physical toll on the actors as well. Yeah, very much so. So, because it doesn't feel soft, anything that happens here uh, towards the end and all of that. So, 
there's somewhat serene environments obviously towards the end and there gets like a visceral treatment but uh, it uh, you'd wish that it was um, maybe if it would just been and played it's called like in a cards in like a conventional way maybe he would have gotten some more juice out of this uh, you know because the they, 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 because the, this whole final sequence is devoid of any quirks and devoid of any sort of uh, uh, slight arty excursions you know it's just gangster violence personally i can't help thinking that as they went through it there it was the director's first film herjin ho is melodrama let's be honest about it he always has been always will be and i can't help feeling they're trying to do something different with the genre, and they try to do something different too much. And the uh, experimentation is uh, uh, always worthwhile, of course. And um, is there any sign of this, oh, Sungook, in The Shameless? If you saw Kilimanjaro and that was all you were aware of, you wouldn't see it as a new film by him. You just look at it as a hard-boiled action thriller, which, whether it was as successful as it could have been or not, is decent enough it does what it's supposed to do it's it's coherent it's kind of balanced you know it's a bit throwaway but it's certainly i i wouldn't have the complaints that i had about kilimanjaro if you look at the things that he co-wrote alternatively like h and greenfish which you know greenfish is another very balanced i guess lee chang dong film i can almost look at the shameless and say yeah, I can see the link between the writing and that and the the co-writing and that. Um, but it's those links and not the link to Kilimanjaro that hang together. The Shameless seems to be like a completely different director than this film. All right, uh, before I do the availability, uh, and, and there's nothing wrong with bringing up uh, movies with, uh, with an action tone that connects to the next episode that might be problematic. Obviously, we're not here to praise everything we do, so it's always, uh, always good that you pick movies that uh, might not play extremely well. Uh, the only thing I uh, recommend to, that you don't do is to bring like full on art house, uh, abstract art house, because it's not it, it's not in my wheelhouse. Wheelhouse and uh, mine neither. I mean, on a case to case basis, if I should be fair, but it, generally it's not because it's um, I, I I I struggle to come up with notes. I mean, I showed you the, the animated movie Angels Egg not too long ago, which is pretty ambiguous, and you have to work to interpret that, and you might be right, you might be wrong. I'm happy to interpret that one, so you know, on a case-by-case basis, but I don't seek them out. Yeah. In the case of that, I'm a fan of the director of Ghost in the Shell, and I'm happy to explore his movies. And uh, believe believe me when I say this, uh, as in terms of Ghost in the Shell and Angel's Egg, uh, his uh, filmography doesn't suggest that that's like, like that, that was not all he did. You know, he, he did uh, mecha action, too. That's what he's famous for, kind of. <laughs> From Angel's Egg to Pet Labor. You know, uh, giant fighting robots. So, there you are. Anyway, uh, any other notes before I do the availability? It may sound like we've been deeply negative, and maybe we have. I think Kilimanjaro is worth a look to see how non-action drama directors and writers handled what should be action drama. It's not unwatchable. Well, it's only 100 minutes, and if you can get hold of it, it's worth a look to just link it with everything else, especially the the gangster, the numerous gangster movies of the same time. It has its problems, but 
you know, almost that last scene makes it at least worth a look. That's as positive as I'm going to be. You, you mentioned Uninvited. Was he the main lead, Pok Jin Yang, in The Un- Uninvited? He was. He was the guy who gradually lost his mind. and Because talk about, you know, big versus almost unnoticeable, but he's great in The Uninvited. But you, you don't remember, like, the antics of Pok Jin Yang in The Uninvited. Here it's, uh, like, uh, the, it, it's night and day in terms of what the character he's asked to inhabit. Uh, two characters, granted, but big characters uh, with... I wouldn't have been able to pick him out of a police lineup. Like, uh, which actor was in the Uninvited? <laughs> Maybe that guy. <laughs> yeah, well, totally. You know, and I, I mean, he was in White Valentine with Jun Ji Hyun, same actress he was in with in the Uninvited. And in it, he's uh, a very quiet, reserved guy who, if someone said boo to him, he'd run away. You know, he's all over the place in terms of what he can do. He's just a bit of a dick in Kilimanjaro, let's be honest. All right, and as for availability, the Korean DVD is noted as being out of print, unfortunately. Uh, The Hong Kong DVD is available, but um, Specs suggests that this was cropped to full screen, so it's that long ago where some movies did still get full screen releases. Um, uh, That same edition is distributed by Taiseng in America, and that's also available, but uh, you're better off trying to find the, the original Korean one uh, although it doesn't seem like it's commonly listed um, secondhand or anything like that, so uh, but uh, but yeah, it, it's not a uh, it, this movie was not shot in uh, cinemascope or anything, so the cropping might not be that noticeable. But for a modern movie, you, you don't expect uh, cropping or anything like that. So for for, for a P, then then pick it up, I guess, and then try and find a Korean DVD if if you're interested. Yeah, totally, totally. And anyway, uh, next time uh, we are going to find out who was the action kid. Who, who is the action kid? And who and how did he become the action kid of uh, Korean cinema? So in the next episode, we'll be looking at the career of uh, Ryu Sung-Wan, and specifically his movie No Blood, No Tears, from 2002, was it? Uh, so we're still uh, close to that uh, big uh, genre explosion. Uh, you know, it hadn't died out in 2002, and... Uh, and you know korean cinema never really died out and like it was on the brink of like packing it in it's just it goes through some cycles i suppose yeah but at any rate uh, we are gonna finish this episode off on uh, on kilimanjaro so that's what korean cinema is in this case kilimanjaro a type of korean cinema so good or bad it's up to you but uh, that was our views and uh, for all your podcast on fire network needs including the back catalog of what's korean cinema check out podcastonfire.com we're obviously available on itunes and apple podcasts as well as stitcher radio all social media links are available at the top of our website facebook twitter and what have you they're also available in the show post along with any other relevant links uh, connected to this episode so uh, that's uh, all the plugs you're gonna get from me but uh, paul you as always you are the special and honorary co-host of, of this episode so you get a full 50 minutes to plug your crap wow <laughs> my my crap is hangelcelluloid.com um as i've said i'm on facebook at facebook.com slash i'm on twitter at at hangelcelluloid if you check out kilimanjaro or not, and you're interested in Anson Key, who you know was for a time, I guess, the Cary Grant of of Korean cinema. Um, there's an interview with him on the site, which he talks about movies from way back when he was a, a child star in The Housemaid, wow. right up till Im Quantex Reviver, which is possibly my favourite of his films. It's an astonishing film. 
Is he is he one of the main kids in the uh, the housemate or a kid somewhere in the housemate? No, he is the main little boy. There's a little boy and a little girl who are, you know, who have the direct interactions with the nasty, nasty housemate. He's he's the little boy, and it it's just because his father was working in some respect on set, and Kim Ki Young needed a child who happened to be hanging about the set waiting for his dad so that's that's how Han Suki got his first role and it, it sort of went quite well from there uh, at any rate uh, throughout the URL uh, for the people to uh, surf to as they uh, enter the world wide web just head over to hangolcelluloid.com and click buttons you can even, as I said, go to the Google search and type Anson Key and it'll bring it up. I'm really pleased. Excellent, excellent. You've done, <laughs> you've done well. I mean, the internet is playing playing, uh, uh, playing into your hands as it should. Playing nice for the time being. Mm-hmm. At any rate, uh, my name is Kennedy and uh, with me was uh, Paul Quinn for this discussion of uh, Kilimanjaro, a particular Korean action drama that uh, you should pursue if you uh, make up your own mind. So don't listen to us. But uh, at any rate, thank you very much for listening to us and uh, so Say goodbye for now, Paul, and uh, next week you'll hear our episode on No Blood, No Tears. Thanks for listening, guys. See you later.